ready? Born ready. All right, y'all, it is here. It's another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Sava Long. As always, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know there's a lot of things competing for your time these days, and I appreciate you giving the pod a listen weekend and week out. So why don't we jump right in? Let's start with not necessarily Atlanta, but near Atlanta. We're going to start with South Fulton. I mentioned on the podcast maybe a month or so ago about this epic showdown at a council meeting, a city meeting between South Fulton's mayor, Khalid Kamau, and his fellow city council members. And at that meeting, they all voted unanimously to censure him, right? And so Politico, which is a national news outlet, put up over the weekend is really interesting long form story about Khalid about the creation of the city of South Fulton and everything that's going on around it. So some people in South Fulton including the city council members have taken issue with some of the things he has said. Things like and I quote, we are a city that is black on purpose. Now, the city of South Fulton is indeed the blackest city in the country as the highest percentage of black people in the city. And so folks who are taking issue with this, including black people, uh, in fact, a lot of black people, because the city is, again, 90-something percent black, they are afraid that being so pro-black is going to scare off white businesses and white developers. And so when he was talking to Politico, uh, the mayor said this, and I want to quote here, Black on purpose policy is to stop begging. If Starbucks won't do it, then we start our own coffee. And here he was talking about Starbucks coming into the community and opening up a store. Then he goes on to say, now, if you needed to say Starbucks because you think white people's ice is colder, that's a different conversation. If you need the name Starbucks on it to make you feel like you have value, then that's another conversation that we need to have. That is a really interesting and powerful quote from the mayor. There's a lot more to the story of South Fulton. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I encourage you to read that article and take time to really absorb it. It's a very long piece. It's probably going to take you, I don't know, 10 minutes or so to read. And there's another political story. In fact, they did three stories over the weekend, all censored around Metro Atlanta. And this other one that I want to highlight is about the political influence of Atlanta rappers. Now, we know every election season, Atlanta rappers rally behind a particular candidate. Uh, They did it for Kasim, they did it for Keisha, and they did it for Andre. So at least since 2008, they are three for three. In fact, in the last mayoral election, it was Atlanta rappers who helped spread a rumor that candidate for mayor Felicia Moore was going to shut down the city's nightlife. So after the election, TMZ even did a story about it. 
Kasim, how are you, mate? Doing all right, you okay today? I'm doing very well, thank you. So we did a story, TMZ did a story that um, Felicia Moore is saying that T.I. and Isaac Hayes tanked her campaign and in part it led to her defeat um, with a fake news story about how supposedly she wanted to close all strip clubs, which wasn't true. It wasn't true. I just think you have to trust the voters. Uh, the election wasn't even close. The margin was so great. Um, but T.I.'s voice is important and so is Isaac Hayes' voice. But at the end of the day, I think the voters picked who they wanted to be the next mayor. And congratulations to Councilmember Dickens on his way. So you don't think that them sort of disseminating this false information in any way led to a lack of voters turning out for Felicia? Didn't lead to a 20% margin. Right. I mean, it was a 60-40 race. So I think this might be a little more relevant in a closer election, but 60-40, turn the page and move on. Do celebrities have a lot of sway in Atlanta, more so maybe than other than California? Like California, it seems like to not matter as much. You know, in Atlanta, they're an important part of our culture, an integrated part of our community. And so I think that their voices matter. Uh, T.I.'s voice certainly matters. Uh, Isaac Hayes' voice matters, but it really blends in. Uh, celebrities and creatives really blend in to our community uh, in a dynamic way, and their voices certainly matter. And last thing, how important are strip clubs to Atlanta? Um, I mean, they're, they're an important part of the economy as well. We host, uh, we're in the top five most visited cities in the United States of America, so uh, having a dynamic nightlife is important, and that's a part of it. Now, that was Kasim. I want you to also hear from Felicia. And again, she insisted that she lost because of rappers like T.I. Take a listen. Now, this Isaac Hayes, which somehow has some obsession with me, uh, and now T.I., both of them uh, went after me about that when I started to run for mayor. They went after me about it. Isaac before, but then they, they can't surface back up. And this was a few months ago. And they lied then saying that I was saying I wanted to close all recording studios. The legislation would have never closed anything. Uh, it would only be for new ones. And T.I. puts out a very salacious lie, just point blank lie and misinformation saying that I wanted to close strip clubs. I've never even discussed strip clubs since the general election. That's never come up in any of the election things. But they put that out there because they have a large following. It went viral. Uh, and it took a while for, some, for people to start to get the message that I never said I wanted to close that. Then they just made up stuff. And it's just sad that, you know, good people try to run to serve because they have a heart for the people in the city and they get torn down by misinformation and used by celebrities um, and their influence and social media reach uh, to slander uh, someone's name and lie. It's ongoing stream of lies and information by um, Isaac Hayes III in particular. I think he has some obsession with tearing me down. I feel sorry for the karma he will receive in life. And uh, Mr. T.I., who I would have thought should have learned his lesson from jumping on me when I was running earlier, because that it got him in a fight with someone else that opened up the whole series of allegations that he has in front of him. 
So he should learn to stay out of politics. Well, then, as you can imagine, T.I. definitely clapped back at Felicia Moore for those comments. So really, the conversation here is about what is the influence of celebrities and should there be influence? And so legislatively, the city council is considering a bill to crack down on what they're calling nuisance businesses. These are businesses within the city that are receiving significant noise complaints or significant crime complaints. And celebrities in particular, Killer Mike and T.I., are of the number of people who were pushing back against this legislation. Now, Mayor Andre Dickens hired a night mayor to interface with entertainment venues and work with the business owners. This was actually created under Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. She created a nightlife division, and Andre has now taken it to the next level by hiring a night mayor. So to give you an example of some of these nuisance properties that the council is considering doing something about. So earlier this year, the city's law department sued a downtown hookah lounge that was the site of deadly shootings. The city's law department was able to get them evicted and the business shut down. Again, this happened under Mayor Dickens. In a uh, report, the AJC said that since February of 2020, The Atlanta Police Department had responded to at least 171 calls at this particular business, and the calls were concerning violent criminal activity, homicides, shooting, larceny, so people breaking into vehicles, disorderly conduct, and aggravated assault. These were all things that allegedly took place at this business. So again, what is the role of celebrities, if any? Now, you had T.I. and other celebrities saying that Felicia Moore as a candidate was going to shut these businesses down. But the irony is that this is actually happening under Mayor Andre Dickens. So what does he do? Right. There's no doubt that these rappers helped get him elected. Uh, But at the same time, he's got numerous places in the city where you can see the data shows a direct contribution to crime. So something has got to give. Uh, In that political story, Ensei Ufat, who is the CEO of New Georgia Project, when she was asked about this, she said, and I quote, there's no rapper retirement plan. Uh, And she said that the smart rappers, folks, again, like Killer Mike and T.I., are becoming real estate developers. And they're bragging about purchasing up block after block of the city of Atlanta. And so what they are doing is taking an intense interest in city politics because they are also now landowners and property owners. Very interesting piece. I think a lot more will come from this discussion, and then we'll see what the city council ends up doing. All right, next up, we've got uh, something about Governor Kemp. Now, I don't know if this was a setup or if the governor meant what he said, but he was at a UGA college Republican tailgate And he was asked a question about the Plan B pill. Take a listen to a recording of this conversation. Again, it's at a tailgate, so you're going to hear a good bit of background noise. 
I gotta ask, in my in my constitution class, we're talking about how like the Dobbs decision went back to the states. During that, can you like ban plan B in that process since it's everything's now at the state level? Because I mean now well, you can yeah, I mean I'm, you can take up pretty much everything, but yeah. you ain't gotta be in legislative session yeah. to do that. Is that something you could is that something you could do? I mean obviously after you win and everything. It just depends on where the legislators are. But but if they're on board you we can do that. Because I mean look you were, I, I think I'd have to check and see. I mean there's a lot of legalities yeah but i mean it's like we got abortion like we got it was so great because rugby waves overturned now we have all these problems you know where well the thing was and we have it's, states well, like Colorado it's, it's allowing other states they can still do whatever they yeah want. I mean, unfortunately what, well that's just the way the constitution is. yeah i appreciate it the other side right like it's all gone and they're scared yeah yeah, yeah. fear yeah. tactics you know <laughs> thank you so the governor says it depends on what the state senators and state representatives want to do in the next legislative session as to if banning Plan B would be part of the legislative agenda. That session, the 2023 session, starts in January. Now, I listened to this clip probably three or four times to try to understand what Kemp was saying. Now, I don't think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he was saying that he is for banning Plan B. Uh, the way he answers the question, though, makes it seems like he's saying to Republicans in the General Assembly, kind of like a wink and a nod, right? If you do this, I won't necessarily veto it. There's a lot of question in this election cycle about if independents are going to vote Democrat because in part of how Republicans are legislating around women's rights and abortion access. Now, one person who gets this and is, has always been really smart about this type of politics is David Ralston, Republican from Blue Ridge, Georgia, and he is the Speaker of the House. Now, he was talking about what he intends to focus on in the next legislative session, and he referenced a conversation that he gave to some students at UGA. And he said in his conversation with them, and I quote, they wanted to know about their future. They wanted to hear what jobs and opportunities would await them when they joined the workforce. They asked what my colleagues in the General Assembly and I were doing to make sure they had access to good schools, good health care, and safe communities. So if there's something you want to talk to me about for next year's General Assembly, be sure you frame how it will impact opportunity in this state. Speaker Ralston goes on to say, will it provide our children a better education? Will it expand access to healthcare? Will it improve our infrastructure and make us more competitive? Those are questions I'm going to be asking. That's where my focus will be next legislative session. Now, when I hear that, it sounds remarkably similar to what Democrats are campaigning on right now. They're campaigning on access to health care and expanding that access through Medicaid. They're campaigning on improving infrastructure. They're campaigning on improving education. All of these types of things. But what Ralston is talking about is counter to what Republicans, not only in Georgia, but across the country, are campaigning on. And instead, their focus is on things like abortion and other quote-unquote culture war conversation. So speaking of campaigns and elections, 
The Democratic nominee for governor in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, was recently on the Earn Your Leisure podcast, which I thought was a smart move. I want to play just a couple of bits from that interview. One of the ones is important to make sure you hear is her explaining why you should care about who is running for governor in your state. Take a listen. We think about the structure of government. We have been trained to focus on the president because that's the most powerful job in the nation. And for black and brown people, it's also been incredibly important because states have often refused to acknowledge our citizenship and our humanity. So let's, I'll use three examples. Stand your ground, the law that killed Trayvon Martin. That wasn't federal law. That was signed by the governor of Florida. That's how stand your ground became. But once it happens in a state, it spreads like contagion. So now you've got stand your ground in Georgia and everywhere else. Number two, mass incarceration did not start with the 94 crime bill. Three strikes you're out was actually done by the governor of California in 1994. The federal government decided to follow, but it started with the governor. And Jim Crow, the stripping black people of humanity for 150 years, never had a single federal law. It was all state laws signed by governors. And so when we think about how our lives are lived, we think about the presidency because it's national or the mayor because it's hyper-local. But all the money that comes from the federal government comes through the state, the governor decides. All of the things your mayor wants to do in the South, especially in Georgia, has to be approved by, if it's a big program, it has to be approved by the governor. One example is that in 2015. All right, Stacy in this interview also talked a lot about what Kemp isn't doing as it relates to everyday issues that Georgians are facing. And there's one in particular I wanna call out, which is housing. Take a listen to this part of the interview. At the numbers, the people who were falling are still falling. The people who are holding on are holding on by their fingernails. And he refuses to invest in their success. Let's look at housing. Georgia has an affordable housing crisis. We're only the eighth largest state, but we are number three in eviction filings and number four in actual evictions. And this isn't just Atlanta. This is across the state. I was down in Thomasville. And they wanted to talk about the eviction rate down there. So this is a statewide issue. Well, the governor's response is to spend $62 million on homelessness programs. He will not invest in actually building the 207,000 units of affordable housing that we need. He will not work with our local governments to let them right-size rent and inclusionary zoning. And so the current governor does not believe it's his job to help. So I don't agree with that last part. I'm sure the governor recognizes his job is to help Georgia, but I'm pulled out that quote to help you understand some of the local policies that we talk about. There is a role also for the state government. There is a role that they can play in actually helping local governments with some of these big policy issues like housing that is, again, impacting the entire state. It's impacting rural Georgia, it's impacting the city of Atlanta, and it's even impacting what we call exurban communities. So counties like Forsyth County, for example, and those other parts that are not part of the core of the region is truly a statewide issue. Uh, And the last thing I'd say about this interview is, of course, 
We always look at these polls, uh, and Stacy was asked if she felt that the polls are showing less support than what she actually has on the ground. And of course, she said, yes, that there's more support on the ground than what the polls are showing. I just happened to be having breakfast last week with one of her surrogates, and they effectively said the same thing. Uh, and they said, we have the votes. The question is if people will show up and vote. So we'll see. Moving on to national, something that's happening nationally, but again, has a statewide impact. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham introduced a bill that would ban federal abortions or would federally ban abortions at the 15 week mark. Now, before the six week ban in Georgia went into effect, we had a 20 week ban. Senator Graham's bill does include exceptions for rape, incest, or the mother's health. And he also said, and this is the part that you should pay attention to, that if Republicans take back the House and the Senate, he will put the bill up for a vote. So here's how that's playing out in Georgia. An advisor to Governor Brian Kemp said, and I quote, trust me, Republicans want to be talking about the economy and Joe Biden. We don't want this debate. It does not help. Now, Herschel Walker, who is a Senate candidate, who is again running to flip the Senate and turn it back into the Republican hands, said this. He actually supports Senator Graham's bill, and he said, I'm a proud pro-life Christian, and I will always stand up for our unborn children. I believe the issue should be decided at the state level, but I would support this policy. And so again, as we think about things that are happening federally and their impact locally, as we're going to the ballot box, you know, in the next couple of weeks here, these are things to put into your consideration. One big news story that I want to spend some time talking about is this migrant roundup that we are seeing. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are sending migrants to Democratic cities. Abbott in Texas has sent more than 10,000 migrants to Chicago, D.C., and New York. Governor DeSantis has paid for charter flights to send 50 migrants, those are mostly folks from Venezuela, from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And I should just add as a reminder, Florida does not share a border with Mexico, although yes, it is plausible that migrants who are entering from border states do indeed make their way to Florida. Now, the stunt itself is one thing you can argue, and I think there's something to be said that this is really smart politically. It would be doing in an election year to drum up your base and to energize your base. But DeSantis could end up in hot water because Florida law says that he can only spend taxpayer dollars on transporting migrants in Florida, not in other states. The migrants that were sent to Martha's Vineyard didn't know where they were going. The organizations in town were not prepared. They did not know that migrants were coming. And so I want you to take a listen to this. It's a little lengthy, but it's a four-minute clip from a press conference with immigration attorneys who were helping these migrants. Take a listen. Drive last night, make it clear that they were lied to again and again and fraudulently induced to board the planes. They were told there was a surprise present for them. 
and that there would be jobs and housing awaiting for them when they arrived. This was obviously a sadistic lie. Not only did those responsible for this stunt know that there was no housing and no employment awaiting the migrants, they also very intentionally chose not to call ahead to any single office authority on Martha's Vineyard so that even the most basic human needs arrangements could be made, ensuring that no help awaited the migrants at all was the entire point. They were provided with a cartoonishly simple map of Martha's Vineyard and the United States and a brief brochure containing snippets from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts website and instructions to change their address with USCIS when they relocated. This is especially troubling as anyone with even the most basic understanding of the immigration proceedings knows that USCIS was not the agency with whom the migrants would have to record their addresses and has nothing to do with their cases in any way. It is clear that this was an intentional attempt to ensure that these migrants were removed in absentia when they failed to change their address with the proper agency. This was a purposeful derailment designed to prevent people from complying with federal immigration policies. This is problematic because the state should not be interfering with federal immigration policy. Before they boarded the planes, the migrants were processed by agents of the Department of Homeland Security who listed falsified addresses on the migrants' paperwork. Agents apparently chose random homeless shelters all across the country from Washington to Florida to list the migrants' mailing addresses, even when told by the migrants that they had no address in the U.S. According to the paperwork provided to them, the migrants are required to check in with ICE office nearest to the fake address chosen for them by DHS or be permanently removed from the United States, with some required to check in as early as this coming Monday. It could not be clearer that this is an attempt to ensure that these people are ordered removed, even as they try as hard as they can to comply with the instructions provided to them. There is no other reason to list as someone's mailing address a homeless shelter in Tacoma, Washington, when they ship him to Massachusetts. It is sickeningly cruel, throwing obstacles in the way of people fleeing violence and oppression, some of whom walked through 10 countries in the hopes of finding safety. It is shameful and inhuman. Many of these victims were deprived of medical care despite clear existing injuries. These are human beings who were deprived of basic human rights. To the people who find themselves, these wonderful people who find themselves plane wrecked on our island, I have a message for all of them. You are not alone. We have your backs. We are proud to be here for you and we've got you. If the intention of those who perpetrated this horrendous act was to create a crisis, you have failed. Their demeanor is kind, their demeanor is grateful, and their demeanor is just that they wanna be doing everything right. Their biggest concern today is that many of them have dates to appear in San Antonio Monday morning, Tacoma, Washington Monday morning, Washington DC Monday morning. You tell me how that's possible. That it's pretty remarkable. Um, again, this is not just on the Republican governors, if you listen to her. The Department of Homeland Security is also complicit. 
And again, this is the Department of Homeland Security under Joe Biden. They have done basically some of the same continuation of policies that were done under Donald Trump. They told migrants that they will transport them to another place in the United States, and they are doing something called lateral flights. And that's basically where you do a multi-stop trip, but the final destination is actually deporting and sending these folks back to Mexico, even if they're not Mexican. Now, the Department of Homeland Security stopped this lateral flight program, but they have said that they, quote-unquote, reserve the right to restart the flights if it deems the circumstances are warranted. And so, thankfully, in Martha's Vineyard, the migrants that were sent there without knowing where they were going to be sent, they were greeted and they were able to get significant amount of help from nonprofit groups, from religious groups, to give them some sense of peace and safety. Uh, but this is a serious problem. And as have we continue to have a conversation in this country about migrants and where we want to be and what are we missing in our country as it relates to things like workers and access to jobs, the immigrant population is going to end up being a key part of that. And so at some point in the very near future, as in really now, we've got to figure this out because this makes us look like the opposite of what we know America to be when you think of Ellis Island, when you think of give me your tired, your poor. So again, the clip from the immigration attorney is just really fascinating. I really wanted to like see the full press conference because it's clear that these are this is a crisis. Um, you know, you had governors who sent migrants to the steps effectively of the vice president's house, right? And so this is something that there's a real opportunity for bipartisan uh, conversation and work on it, uh, but it's going to take putting ego and putting partisan ideas to the side and saying, what makes sense for the future of our country? Because the problem is not going away. Democrats, you can't ignore the problem. You've got to come together and figure out how to solve it. All right, with that, why don't we turn to party poopers and party starters? Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party's over. Close the gates. What? All right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. All right. Uh, so our party pooper is Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley. And I promise I'm not being ageist. I'm just being real. He just turned 89 years old and he is running for re-election to another six-year term in the United States Senate. Yes, Senator Grassley appears healthy. He kind of jogs around D.C. He's known to do great constituent services. But I, I have a very hard time understanding why an 89-year-old senator is running for re-election to another six-year term. And this is someone who has been in the Senate longer than I have been alive, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so a new poll by Business Insider and Morning Consult shows that 41% of folks say that the ages of our political leaders is a major problem. And those are folks that are Democrat and Republican. 
nearly half of America's population is under 38 years old. But only 5% of folks under 38 have been elected to Congress. Overwhelming majority, 80-something percent of those surveyed, say they want to see term limits in Congress. And if anyone should be a case study for the reason why we need term limits, it should be Senator Chuck Grassley, who again is turning 89 and running for another six-year term. Something's got to give there. That's insane. Let's get it started in What's rule number one? Party. All right, on to the party starter. Now, this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, but my party starter is going to be a local person, Mary Norwood, who you might remember ran for mayor at least twice and is now back on the city council representing Buckhead. Well, Mary raised a lot of eyebrows by writing an opinion piece in a Republican-leaning, business-focused news site where she basically says some of the same tenets that the pro-Buckhead City movement people have said, that Buckhead is not getting its fair share, that Buckhead isn't being ignored by the city. Of course, Mayor Andre Dickens, his administration, said, whoa, pump your brakes, here's what's wrong, and did literally a 5 page letter responding to her concerns. And so it makes me think maybe all the other council members need to start doing this and all the other neighborhoods in the city need to look back and say, hey, what are we not getting from the city that we need and how do we make our community better? So maybe take a page from Mary's book and see how you can improve neighborhoods like parts of South Atlanta who have that have historically been underinvested in. I don't know. This is I'm not Keith, I'm not going to call this reparations, but I think there is something to be said about this. All right, y'all. That is today's show. As always, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a voice note if you've got something that you want to say about what we've talked about on today's show or even a previous show. Or if there's something you want me to talk about that I haven't addressed before, send it to me in a voice note. Again, always appreciate you listening and you always know where to come to hear political coverage about stuff that you should be paying attention to and care about. And that is where the party is at. Take care.